Hey, really good friends. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Hello! And welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a queer history podcast. As always, I am Rachel Craig. And as always, but back in better than ever, I'm Jared Bemblow. And hello. <laughs> New and improved. New welcome. and improved. Welcome to season two. We're back. I-, I am unbelievably just in shock that we're here, that we're back, that you've all come back on this journey with us. Thank you. Welcome. Hello. I mean, we said at the end of season one, you're not going anywhere and we aren't either. So No, and you've you made back. it. Yeah. You kooky kids have made it. Season oh my two. God. Here we go. Mama Mia, here we go again. Here we go again. I, that's so, I, like I said, I'm just kind of in shock about the whole thing, but I am so excited to bring you, to present to you all season two of Historically mm-hmm. Really Good Friends. We've got some changes, mm-hmm. uh, s- small changes. Small Bear with changes, us. I think you'll like them. I think I you think will so like too. the changes. And we we've missed we've missed you all during our our brief hiatus. But we're, right, I mean, like Jared said we're back and better than ever. We're back. We have great stories to tell you. We have a lot of good things planned. I mean, I don't want to speak for both of us, Rachel, but I'm incredibly excited for what's to come in season two of historically really good friends what historically really good friends are we gonna make uh, there you, what a, you know? i love that little tagline you you can speak for me anytime in fact okay. i won't speak at all you okay. can speak on my behalf rachel does not like this podcast she hates dogs and children and anything fun and happy and also she smells honestly that's fair is that accurate that is sure we'll take that and i know for sure she smells is true because it seems like the whole world is in a heat wave right now the whole world is in a heat wave right now so i'm a little sweaty here um after a long day of being sweaty at work so i definitely fine i do smell jared i was right to assign you speaking privileges on my behalf I'm so glad that worked out. You're right, though. I've had my air conditioner running since 830 this morning. Mm. It is high 90s, low 100s for the next week straight. So we, meaning my dog Ranger and I, are hunkering down in my Mm -hmm. apartment in Los Angeles and trying to wait out the friggin' heat. Yeah, stay safe. Honestly, it's kind of scary, all of the climate stuff. I've begun in my downtime during the day. Mm -hmm. I have started looking up like emergency preparedness gear. Oh, I have one. I have a kit. I have a backpack. Yeah. So perfect. So you're prepared. I, I am. on the other hand, am not because I, in New Jersey, I guess, doesn't really get super extreme weather, especially the location in New Jersey I am. So when we mm-hmm. do, it could potentially be like a, a hurricane, for example. Maybe. But that's rare. So I never really considered like emergency preparedness. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like you said, the world is sort of on fire. So I'm on, I'm browsing Amazon. So if anyone mm-hmm. has good, like solar powered well, things, okay. let me know. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We're not going we to use Am- Amazon. We're not going to use Amazon right. because they are okay. le- contributing to the failure of our world and ecosystems sure, and everything. Sure, sure, sure. We Fair. Are gonna, we're going to do some more research and we're going to purchase other brands that don't have 
as big of a footprint? Well, fair. And I found one. I found one that's a really cool gadget, actually, that I kind of want. What is so, the gadget? So listen, season two, help us really promote season two so that I can buy this gadget. Because, <laughs> because thank you, listeners. The gadget is a stove, like a... Mm-hmm. Um, cooking stove but like a very small one mm-hmm. like a like for, a bunsen burner for like, like hiking uh-huh. like a camping stove uh-huh. so it's very small but it has all these little features so it's a regular camping stove but also the heat from the camping stove can charge through usb your electronic devices so it can charge your wow. phone it can charge other things so as long as you put Fire? in little twigs and things yeah and so it harnesses while it's cooking on the stove or or boiling water or whatever mm-hmm. And all you have to do is put in your little kindlings and it harnesses that energy from the burning fire to power your electronic devices. I don't understand how it works. I don't either, but it's cool, right? That sounds really cool. I don't foresee you, Rachel Craig, going camping or hiking anytime soon. But if the world truly does end up in shambles and you are hiking your way through a post-apocalyptic burnt down forest, you're going to be prepared. I will be ready. Having some downtime from the podcast, which not really, we've been working behind the scenes, I will tell you, but it really, I need, I need this kind of structure. I need all of the listeners to keep me accountable so that I'm not shopping for mm-hmm. emergency preparedness items right well I what have that. you been doing with your time off have you seen the world have you found yourself um i have seen wildwood crest new jersey okay. uh, still the same still fine okay. i have also had a break from school which was nice for those of you who don't know rachel is working doing a podcast and in school she is doing 12 million things at once and kicking ass in every single one of them Thank you. Sure. That makes compliments make me feel uncomfortable. I am just a fake person just living a fake life. Yeah. Okay. I'm very glad to be back. How about you, Jared? What have you been up to? I have been hitting up the dog park very frequently. Mm. I've dog park. I am there multiple times a week. We have been doing lots of walks. You know, I've been watching lots of movies and TV shows and listening to podcasts and just kind of clearing my mind and getting myself right and ready for the holiday seasons that are coming up because I am so friggin' excited for the heat to go away and to Mm -hmm. celebrate stupid little holidays that really don't mean anything and just live life and have a good time. Yes, I just can't wait for those little morsels of fall and the holiday mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. that we have. I, I, I do just love fall. I started getting a little sad though that it's getting darker earlier. Yeah, yeah, that but is that's the okay one. because it means it means that fall is incoming. It means cozy sweaters. See, this is the issue in California. September and October and into November are the hottest months of the year. And so the sun starts to go down, but then the days are just really hot. So it's like the worst Mm. of all worlds. So it's dark and it's hot and I'm sweating and I can't see. It's okay because the fires will light your path. The forest fires are, yeah, they're showing me the way. Absolutely. So we've both got a lot of stuff going on, it sounds like. Yeah, I had a great time off. I mean, like you said, we've been working really hard on the podcast and preparing a lot of fun things for you, the listeners. But 
other than that, I've had a great time and I am incredibly excited to be back. Yes, me as well. So before we get into our story for today, should we touch on maybe some of those changes in Absolutely. season two? So if you were a listener in season one, thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening to season two. If you are a new listener, welcome. You may want to go listen to season one. Up to you. We won't force anything. But in season one, the format of our podcast was as such. Rachel and I would both tell a story. We sometimes had things in common and sometimes (laughs) our stories were completely different. But Every single episode, I would tell a story, Rachel would tell a story. It was all fun. It was all fine and dandy. We decided it was a little overwhelming for us, but also for the listeners. We, our episodes were veering in over an hour and it's, it's hard. Jared and I love to chat. We're chatters. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it would get a little long and we really want to make sure we're condensing and giving you the best information. Right but also making the content a bit more digestible. And so Mm -hmm. here's the plan, folks. Every single episode, either myself or Rachel will be telling a story, a singular story on a singular subject, and we'll be having a discussion about it. So I'll be telling stories every other week. And in the weeks that I'm not telling a story, Rachel will be telling a brilliant, gorgeous, amazing story that tops my story for the week previous and to come. Make it stop. I'm going to make it keep going. I I feel like season one, Jared was really mean to me. Season two, too nice to me. And I prefer season one, Jared. Listen, listen, (laughs) the pendulum swings and it doesn't know how to stop in the middle. You're right. You're completely right. We do genuinely appreciate all of our listeners and know that a lot of you may be listening on your lunch breaks, on your commutes, and so we really want to be mindful and respectful of that time while having more well-rounded discussions, I think, about our topics rather than- hopefully. Trying to like run down a Wikipedia page for you, um, which is, yeah, it's not as digestible. And so I'm really, really excited for this new format. Me too. Another thing I want to touch on is for our new listeners. Well, first off, hi, my name is Jared. This is my best friend and co-host, Rachel Craig. Oh, I'm a best friend now. Guys, season two. We are leveling (laughs) up constantly. We are very grateful for you. I'm very glad you are here. Besides our main episodes where either Rachel where I will tell a story, we also sometimes have these things called listener stories. And that's where you come in. If you want your story to be read or a story about a queer person in your life, really on any topic, I mean, when you came out, when you realized you were queer, um, your story about your summer camp crush, or, you know, Valentine's Day, when you gave a card to the person and that was like your first queer thing whatever it is you know (laughs) we want to hear about it and we want to compile a bunch of stories into listener episodes and then be able to read them back to the rest of our audience and kind of cement your spot in queer history cement your spot on the internet but it takes 
your stories. So <laughs> if you have a story that you want to tell and you want other people to hear, you can write in those stories to historically really good friends at gmail.com or on our Instagram at historically really. Go ahead and give us a DM. We pick a few every now and then, read them off, and it's a great time. Yeah, it's a really fun time to get to know you all, to have the opportunity to share your stories. You can remain anonymous, mm-hmm. all up to you. And I encourage you to check out those listener story episodes. If you're thinking of dipping your toe in the internet sharing waters, yeah. take a look first. Get some thoughts about what we've released before, but it really runs the gamut of yeah of things whatever you want to share we're happy to read it um, absolutely truly so yeah. share share what you want sharing is caring there you go <laughs> and on that note rachel why don't we get started with the first subject the first story of season two of historically really good friends and that's you you're kicking us off i am a little nervous to be honest i feel like maybe more nervous than our very first episode but I will power through and I hope to present you with a really wonderful starting journey, starting episode for this week, for season two. Okay, I'm ready. So, Let's do it. Talking about journeys, talking about expeditions, we're going to be talking today. Love that journey for you. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking today about Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Shut up. Are, are you ready? Really? Are we really? No, we really are. We really are. I swear to on you. On our little queer history podcast, we're talking about Lewis and Clark? Uh, yes, on our little queer history podcast, we are going to attempt to tackle probably okay. one of the most, like, I, I guess, like, famous Renowned. American history. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like we know about this. So we're going to try to okay. dive into it. We're okay. going to really explore this today. Ooh. All right, let's do it. In order to do that, I'm going to share some of the sources that I used, including excerpts from My Friend and Companion, The Intimate Journey of Lewis and Clark by William Benjamin, as published in the Lewis and Clark Trail Heritage Foundation Quarterly. The Wikipedia pages for the Lewis and Clark Expedition, Meriwether Lewis, and then also William Clark. Excerpts from the book The Character of Meriwether Lewis by Clay S. Jenkinson. A George Washington University History News Network article titled Were Lewis and Clark Gay? by Thomas A. Foster. And finally, Lewis Loved Clark, Intriguing Hints About America's Historic Trailblazers from the Free Library. So a lot of good sources. I really, since I was on a break from school, I really did a lot of reading for you all today. And I hope I summarize it in a really good way because this is so interesting. And originally the topic came up from a TikTok that Jared shared actually about this. I don't really remember that. Okay. Well, that's sort of how I got the idea for this. So thank you, Jared. But originally this sort of came from like a a TikTok. So I want to start with the label from the free library article I mentioned Mm -hmm. that labels Meriwether Lewis and William Clark as America's most famous same-sex coupling. Okay. And now I happen to agree when thinking about it because I feel like Lewis and Clark and the Lewis and Clark expedition is like prime whitewash textbook, like fifth grade Mm -hmm. U.S. history. And so like 
really if I had to think back and recall one thing from elementary school like you give me five seconds and you're mm-hmm. like quick what did you learn in third grade I would what did you learn in third grade I would be like uh uh the Lewis and Clark expedition or potentially the clay sea urchin I made for a diorama one time those are like the first thoughts that come to mind okay and while that second one does sound intriguing let's let- focus let's focus on on Lewis and Clark if, and so, if you don't mind no, I, not at all. And that's precisely actually why I wanted to start off season two to do a kickoff with this particular story. So you could talk about your sea urchin project. That's yeah, it. Right. <laughs> okay. And I want to say this. I know we have some international listeners, which is really wild. So shout out to you all. Let me know what it's like having healthcare. Thanks for joining sure, us. Yeah, Thanks please. for coming back to season two. <laughs> Save us. So this may be all new information for you but for our u.s friends this is hopefully going to be a whole new or refreshed take on some commonplace u.s history that i think we can all relate to Mm -hmm. so i want to start with some background on each man individually so meriwether lewis which by the way i thought lewis and clark were their first names so the other day when i was doing research for this i asked People, I was like, do you actually know Lewis and Clark's last names? Because I don't even remember. And they were like, well, Lewis those are Clark. those are like though those are their last names. So mm-hmm. I can't tell you if I recall their first names, but I know at least which order the names go in. Sure. While the Lewis and Clark expedition is pretty commonplace knowledge, I will say I clearly did not retain a ton from them. <laughs> That's okay. Anyway. Meriwether Lewis was born on August 18th, 1774 in Virginia. He would go on to serve as President Thomas Jefferson's private secretary from 1801 to 1803 at 27 years old. So one thing I've learned from this is that people were like really cramming a lot of life into like their years back in olden times because like no guarantees you were going to be like 40 right i mean listen we don't have health care now but they didn't have health care really back then either it's like it's may, maybe you'll make it maybe you won't good luck bud right good luck so 27 serving as the president's private secretary he was recruited because he worked so closely with president jefferson he was recruited by him to serve as the commander of the corps of discovery which is also or better known as the Lewis and Clark expedition in 1803. So the mission assigned to Meriwether Lewis by President Jefferson was to chart the new territory included in the Louisiana Purchase and to see if it was plausible to create ports throughout the U.S. and to the West Coast through any sort of connecting rivers or other water channels. So there wasn't really like a good geographical mapping or topographical mapping, I should say, mm-hmm. of what this new land looked like and what was possible with it. So his task was to go out, make this map, find these ports, try to travel by water to see if he could get to the West Coast. What were his qualifications for this? What a great question. I don't know. Okay. That's one thing. And we talk about like the team, or I was researching about the team they put together and how like Lewis and Clark originally found each other. And it's like, I don't know. They were buds. They were tight. Work. Okay. So they both had a background in like sort of military, but mainly militia because we're talking about 1774. So there wasn't like an organized country with a military and all that stuff. The other thing to note, and I'm going to note throughout, but this was sort of the official formal request of 
the expedition team was to chart this new territory. But it was also really important for the president wanted documentation of interactions and different traditions and things of the indigenous people that were on that land Mm. because the president and other people within the executive branch wanted to be able to use that information to acquire that land. So not the best circumstances like on paper it was like a scientific expedition and like a topographical documentation fact-finding situation right but But the intentions were a little bit more malicious also ulterior motives Mm -hmm. so because of these ulterior motives as well as the more like on paper scientific reasons for this the core or the expedition team was asked to meticulously document their findings in order for that information to be relayed back when the expedition was finished. So that's going to be a really important piece. So we're still in 1803. On June 19th, Meriwether Lewis wrote to William Clark asking him to serve as his second lieutenant on the core of Discovery team. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little bit of background on Lewis. Okay. So now, shifting gears, we're going to talk about William Clark of Clark fame. So he was born on August 1st, 1770, also in Virginia, because like Virginia was like the only place that existed. (laughs) Okay, that's a hot take. So, well, we're talking about 1770. So we're like, we still got 13 colonies. Sure, 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 sure. So it's like Virginia, safe bet someone was going to be born in Virginia. Right. So anyway. William Clark is born in 1770. By age 19, Clark joined a local militia who was engaged in a battle with Native Americans over territory in the Northeast. So he stayed with this militia until retiring just before Lewis's invitation in 1803. And so we touched on this a little bit, but it's unclear why Clark was chosen specifically and how Lewis even really knew of him. Mm -hmm. But he did know Clark had significant strengths compared to himself as a draftsman and frontiersman, meaning Clark's main roles on the expedition were going to be drawing maps and hunting game rather than interaction with indigenous people or other aspects of the mission. I guess for Lewis, it's like, I need a bodyguard. I need someone that has dealt with indigenous Mm -hmm. people before, but still really interesting. So yeah, he's not a diplomat. So they're like, you, you'll you draw the maps. Mm-hmm. You like he, he doesn't have a very diplomatic presence or track record. So like you'll hang and you'll draw the maps. Mm-hmm. Their prior relationship, again, is unclear. It seems, though, from the initial invitation that Lewis sent to Clark that the men already had some kind of bond. In Lewis's letter to Clark, he states, quote, believe me, there's no man on earth with whom I should feel equal pleasure in sharing them as with yourself. Mm. And he continued on to say, I should be extremely happy in your company and will furnish you with every aid for your return from any point you might wish it. With sincere and affectionate regard, your friend and humble servant, Meriwether Lewis, unquote. Okay, if you want to bang, just say you want to bang. I mean, honestly, cut to the chase. Right, cut to the chase. And again, there's like limited history about how these two know each other. But from this letter, it seems like they clearly have some level of intimacy or relationship between the two. 
I would say Meriwether Lewis is horny for William Clark. Mm. Stick with that. Stick with that. Because I feel like Lewis really becomes, uh, throughout this, sort of my shining star. And okay. Clark falls a little flat. Okay. So so keep that in, keep that in your sure, mind. Sure, sure. After receiving that letter, Clark accepts the post. He accepts the invitation to join the expedition on July 18th, 1803. And side note, again, Clark falling a little flat. He brings along a valet, which it was listed as a valet, but it turns out that's just, I guess, another way to say enslaved person. So he brings with him an enslaved person named York and I shouldn't even say bring, was forced to accompany the men and their team on the expedition Mm -hmm. because, interestingly enough, just as we were talking about diplomacy, because of York's ability to get along really well with indigenous people. There we go. So probably a non-threatening presence compared to the expedition team. So York was forced to accompany the rest of the team as an enslaved person. And do the bidding of the white men. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. So again, trying to just tell the story, mm-hmm. but between, again, between the two men, Clark to me, objectively from the start, kind of the bad one. If we're comparing the two, sure. Clark, boo. Yeah, he hasn't he done- get my vote. No, he hasn't done anything so far that makes me really love him. No. And like, there's no reason I need to pit the two against each other, but I'm going to. I was going to say, but do it. In that case, Clark is the toxic one. So May 1803 is when the ball gets rolling on the expedition and Lewis begins to recruit members of the Discovery Corps. Mm -hmm. By September 1803, the expedition as we know it, so the expedition and the Discovery Corps headed by Lewis and Clark, and nearly 40 other men is like officially up and running. There is one journal entry from this time in September when like the gang heads off, they're on the road. Mm -hmm. One really, really really important piece that was emphasized like a ton like honestly an amount that doesn't even make sense it's too much by the president before the expedition set out was meticulous journal keeping he was like you need to record everything and it all needed to be documented because those quote-unquote scientific and other discoveries would be helpful to the country and to the country's expansion into indigenous territory So this was, like, the whole point of what they were doing. Right. To keep journal entries of what they were seeing and finding and who they were talking to and all that stuff. So knowing this, it is super curious that there is an 11-month gap in journals at the start of the journey. From May 1803, when, like, the show gets on the road, people are starting to get invited, the president puts together an gets the Discovery Corps approved through 1804, so a whole, nearly a year. It's just radio silence, except for that one September entry that was like, hey, we're here, we're in St. Louis, I guess. We're in St. Louis now, it's cool, whatever. And then nothing again. And especially nothing helpful to the president's mission. So the September journal entry, again, like wasn't helpful, was not what was asked of them. It was just like, hey, we're here. And you would think it would be fresh, your directives would be fresh in your mind at the start of your journey. Right. If anything, you want to start really strong and then peter out if you need to. You don't want it. It's not a good sign if you're starting out the first 11 months, you said, just not doing what you're supposed to. 
nothing. That's not, so, it doesn't bode well. So, and by the way, for, for like a timeline, this is taking place over about two and a half years. So like okay. 11 months of that time, just nope. Yeah, that's like nothing. about half. There's a little under half. Right. So like many mysterious missing documents we've covered on season one of the show, there is a lot of speculation about why these journals are missing and or where they went or if they were kept at all. Ultimately, they could have just been misplaced or not written down or whatever, but it's the first of many in a curious series of events on this expedition. So it kind of lays the foundation for like a lot of mystery that Mm -hmm. happens. So this next, and I think especially curious and a little gross, experience or evidence, I should say, of the men's relationship or same-sex attraction is Lewis's graphic, and I mean graphic, so I'm not going to share with you, journal entry, because now we have entries. Someone was like, uh, maybe we should be recording this. So now we have journal entries, and Lewis writes a graphic journal entry about their interpreter in the core preparing a sausage made out of buffalo intestines, and it's graphic because he describes the action of making this sausage in a way not unlike describing how a man would masturbate. So it's like a little weird. Um, So he from his early letters, sort of has this fixation with male sexuality and like... But I mean, listen, you go 11 months without recording anything and then the first thing is like a bestiality and, and it's, laden, like, cooking recipe? I mean, like, what? That's the thing. It's like not even bestiality. It's just the description of the way that the interpreter is preparing the meal that is like very phallic and like it didn't need to be that way. It is did it? not need okay. to be that way. Okay. So it's like if you, uh, we don't have to get into it, but it, he's essentially just in depth describing food preparation by in talking like a about weird sensual in a very sexual way. And okay. so this is a weird choice, but sex may have been on the brain because it is reported that Lewis and Clark were the only two members of the team, again, comprised of about 40 men, that did not have sex with women along their journey. And so mm. the sex that the other men were having cannot be guaranteed that it was consensual. I imagine it wasn't because it was Probably mostly not. with indigenous women. Right. But Lewis and Clark did not engage in sex along the journey. And mm. so knowing that, it is interesting to take a look at some of Lewis's later journal entries, which include, again, pretty graphic descriptions about the need for adult men to rid their vessels of seminal liquor. Totally. Come, come, come. Or be turned into beasts, face sexual dysfunction, or even death. Okay, that's dramatic. That's so, a little drama. Drama. So, so right. So just like extreme blue balls, which already isn't a real thing, but he's like, you have to, you have to come. Like you have to, you will die. You will die. It's like he's setting up an excuse for himself. Like 
well, the reason why I did what I'm about to do is because I literally was going to die. Like I had, I had to have sex. Right. I had like to. I had to. I had no choice. It was my but life keeping, or death. I had to, like otherwise I would be like I would turn into a werewolf. Apparently, right. like, <laughs> like I would not be a With human the being. Lowest of balls. Right. I would either be dead or be an animal. So like you, we can't let that happen. No. So knowing that it would follow then that if Lewis and Clark believed this particular mindset about seminal liquor that Lewis recorded in his journals, then how exactly would they be releasing this liquor from their vessels without engaging in sex with women along the way? Are they masturbating? I mean, I don't know. So the thought or the speculation is that celibacy was not an option because apparently you would die right death (laughs) but for a variety of reasons they refused to engage with sex with women specifically indigenous women Mm -hmm. throughout this two and a half year journey so yeah the speculation is either they were having sex with one another lewis and clark Mm -hmm. were having sex with one another or sharing tents and things together maybe engage in some kind of mutual masturbation in an effort to circle jerk right in an effort to make sure that they were protecting their livelihood (laughs) to stay alive stay focused on the task to do the job it's survival Uh apparently it is yeah more evidence of this is contained in the same entry where Lewis details how a married man who is faced with a passion and need to release the seminal fluid would be wholly dissatisfied in sex with a woman saying, quote, an opposite constitution of body is infinitely more common amongst women. The greatest part of them are naturally cold or more or less tranquil under this passion. So he's like, even if I was going to have sex with a woman, it wouldn't be good anyway. I don't even want to. It would suck. Right? So it's not worth it. Right. So he's like, women are cold and unfeeling, and I don't even want to have sex with them anyway. And why would anybody? <laughs> right. Ew. Like, so gross. Like, even if I could, <laughs> I wouldn't. Would I? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's so weird of you to say. Literally, so, who would do that? Needless to say, there are a lot of other accounts that mirror these throughout Lewis's journals, which again, uh, the the note keeping was meant to be meticulous, but like I don't think the president was like talk more about your cum. Like let's hear about Wangs. Like right, they he, like, don't. Care. He recorded all. Of, he was like the president. <laughs> the president didn't tell me what I need to record, so I'm just gonna like guess what he wants to read about right. when I get back. And he's recording entirely all of the wrong right. things. He's like women, ick. Ugh. My best, my best friend. Love it. Yum, yum, so yum. Good. And the president's yes. like, where are the rivers? Where <laughs> right. is this map? So there's a lot more journal entries from Lewis, and they all do sort of mirror this. Obviously, not all of them are sort of explicitly sexual in this way or alluding to sexuality in this way, but there are certainly a lot of them that share similar characteristics to these talking specifically about men, men's sexuality, and the way men could, would, should have sex with one another. So the sexual relationship between the two men, between Lewis and Clark, may be speculative, but their emotional connection certainly is not, especially by today's standards of intimacy and closeness. So again, a lot of the speculation around same-sex interactions and experiences 
relies heavily on Lewis's accounts. So Mm -hmm. he is the one writing mainly about desires or experiences or things related to men having sex with other men. Whereas the evidence for the two sort of in an intimate relationship is more emotional rather than like direct evidence of their sexual relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I also think it's important to note the fact that this could also be like a pirate matelotage sort mm-hmm. of situational homosexuality where it's kind of understood that it just happens, you know, on the road and we don't really talk about it, but there is maybe more of an emotional component that is discovered along the way where that maybe mm-hmm. they're not, you know, expecting or realizing and then it becomes more of a main focus for lewis who is like oh this is more than just like having a fuck buddy it's more yeah it's something more real absolutely and if i had to interpret this in any way i felt pretty similarly where i think for lewis it was a genuine expression of desire whereas for clark Again, falling flat here. Mm-hmm. For Clark, Clark-y. it was it felt more situational. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. in terms of their emotional connection, all reports of Lewis before this expedition show him as aloof and reclusive, sort of this self-isolated loner who was very serious, like wasn't super social, which just sort of kept to himself. However, his letters from the time he spent with Clark and also letters that he sent to Clark show a completely different side of him that no one else can attest to before his experiences with Clark. So Lewis talks about making his friend Captain Clark soup when he was sick, which Mm -hmm. is really cute. So he's like, he's feeling under the weather. We made him soup today. Mm. Again, like probably not what was asked of them to journal, but... No, but I'm so glad it was. Right. They're like, we made soup. Also, what else could you make while you're like on the road expeditioning? Probably soup is just it. Meat? I I guess. guess, But maybe. Okay. On top of the documentation of soup making, (laughs) Lewis would also use affectionate nicknames in the letters and constantly was writing about Clark's health. Like, he's doing really well. He's feeling better. He's back to his normal self, things like that. So he was really very attentive to Clark, and that's well-documented. So after completing their journey together and eventually reaching the Pacific Ocean before returning to what is would now be St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, Clark hooks up with his long-lost love, who, by the way, is 14 at this Mm. time. So Mm -mm. how long has she been lost? I mean, she's like already underage. That's, you couldn't have known her for that long. Literally more than double his age. I'm pretty sure he's 33 at the time. Yeah, that's not fine. What? So, so long lost love, meaning when he left for the expedition, she was 12. Okay. And he was like, I've been waiting forever for you because you're 14 now. Oh my God. So they return from this expedition. They get married. Mm Mm-hmm. They named their first child Meriwether Lewis Clark, which is interesting to me. So that, again, is like a very deep emotional connection to name your firstborn child after someone. Like, okay, also around that time, there's not that many names, right? I feel like you have like seven, right? Meriwether is not one of them. That's one that you are like very, it's not just like, oh, it's a family name. Meriwether, you must know a Meriwether. A Meriwether Lewis. Yes. 
You have to. So, yeah. and yeah, it's not just Meriwether or Lewis. It's like a full name. Right. And then you add Clark at the end. Clark goes on to serve as the superintendent of Indian affairs under President James Monroe. So Indian affairs meaning like, I'm pretty sure that's still a department of the United States government, which is very upsetting. Probably. Talking about indigenous Americans. So when we're talking about Indian affairs, that's what it the office department is referring to. Mm-hmm. So he serves under James Monroe and then became in charge of implementing Andrew Jackson's Indian removal process. Again, indigenous removal process. Mm-hmm. Um, after his first wife's death, he married his first cousin. And then after also- After the 14-year-old's death? Yes. And she dies? So he marries, yeah. So oh. he marries his first cousin and then oh. also became the fourth governor of the Missouri Territory. So like all around Whoa. again, Miss- Clark is a flop. Sorry. I sped through that because it's all... That happens quickly. Yeah. It's all bad stuff. And like, here's what you missed in history class. Here's what they didn't tell you in fourth grade. Clark is a flop. He says. Yeah, Clark. Oh, jeez. Okay. Little Billy Clark, get out of here. So Bye, Billy. Not great. I mean, like, he does a lot of stuff after the expedition, but like, collectively, it's bad. Like, it's not great stuff. I love it. He like, receives a lot of honors, but the honors are like, congrats, you pushed out so many indigenous people so it's like not honors we need to celebrate right now correct ever right (laughs) so by the ending of their expedition lewis has begun to deteriorate mentally and emotionally so he experienced notable bouts of depression that are recorded by other members of the expedition as well as in his own writings Upon returning home, he began drinking heavily and using opium at least three times a day after trying and failing multiple times to find a wife and get married and sort of do the whole like domestic type situation. He did serve as the second governor of the Missouri Territory from 1807 to 1809, but was just generally really lost without his companion, Clark. Mm -hmm. He realized his note to Clark, which he wrote, about finding a cozy little house that the two could share was no longer a possibility. While traveling to Washington, D.C. on the Natchez Trace Trail in Tennessee, Lewis stopped one night and was found dead due to multiple gunshot wounds on the morning of October 11th, 1809. Oh my god. Though Lewis's throat was also cut and money was gone from his belongings, his death was ruled a suicide. Oh, so I'm sorry. You're telling you're telling me that they were like he gave his money away, slit his throat, and then shot himself. So, the throat piece is also hard for me to understand. The money piece could be like they were basically like because things are times are different. It was essentially like he when we found him he had less money than when he left, and it's like he was traveling for quite some time, and like so there. There's not like enough evidence that the money was that he was specifically robbed, but like yes, the he money, had less money. The money is not the part that I'm concerned about. The part that I'm concerned about is that he has a slit throat and gun yes. bullet wounds. Yes. So I also found that curious. And so after the death was ruled a suicide, the conclusion that it was a suicide was accepted by President Jefferson and okay. his close friend William Clark. They felt like this was a likely possibility having known about Lewis's emotional and mental state. But 
some of Lewis's remaining family felt that the death was a murder. They were like, right. this doesn't, this, none of this is adding up. No. Lewis was 35 at the time of his death. And it was, there's still speculation. I think the general consensus is it was a suicide, mm-hmm. but there is definitely still some speculation and some historians trying to parse through what little information we have about this because there was supposedly a witness but of course that person is also long gone so Mm -hmm. it's sort of like believe what we know or don't right clark found out originally about his friend's death from an article in the frankfurt kentucky argus of western america which is arguably the worst way to find out about someone's death title of a newspaper too jesus i don't even know what that is like does argus mean newspaper oh i don't know i just assume how what what else would it be I assume too because it said article. It said article (laughs) and we're in the 1800s, but Frankfurt, Kentucky, Argus of Western American. Like I'm assuming a newspaper. Who who can be sure? Who can be sure? But anyway, it's reported in this thing and that's how Clark finds out. Tragic. Clark lived for another 32 years before his own death from natural causes at the age of 68. Mm. But a family member recalled that every mention of Lewis would bring Clark to tears after his death. Mm-hmm. So Good. there is, <laughs> I know <laughs> Clark really, no Clark, this whole time I've tried to find redeeming stories and like, of course they were both doing things that right. were not great uh, to say the least. Um, at the direction of the government that was also not supportive and actively right. harmful to indigenous people. But like Clark uh, was all worse sure. <laughs> of the two. Again, yeah. Clark was worse. Yeah. And so there is no denying that Lewis and Clark had a very intimate bond that fueled their years long expedition and lifelong friendship. While people have been very angry at the mere suggestion of any sexual relationship between the men, there is still evidence to support this idea. And more so regardless of this concrete evidence, it is important to consider this element of history and the significance of a relationship this strong between two adult men. Mm -hmm. Restructuring our idea of history shouldn't be met with so much pushback that a lot of the authors of these articles I mentioned and read through received. This demonstrates that our history and our idea of historical stories is so rooted in heteronormativity or the idea that straightness is the default setting for everyone and everything. The idea that all of this evidence is seen as propaganda is really strange to me. And that was a lot of the pushback that we were seeing that people were like, this is just the gay agenda. Grow up. And to that point, To answer one of the questions that kept popping up in the research for this week and was actually the title of one of the articles that I used, the question was, were Lewis and Clark gay? And my answer would be, why couldn't they have been? There is more evidence to suggest that the two men were in love with one another than the men were in love with any women that were at some point in their lives. These facts exist but the concept of needing to unearth and uncover them is reflective of why we're here for season two to shed light on the queerness of our history. And so that was like a very brief overview of Lewis and Clark. 
That was awesome. That was a great way to ring in season two. I didn't know so much about that. I mean, not that I really know much about the <laughs> Lewis and Clark expedition, but even less did I know about the the two men that it was named after. I didn't know anything about Lewis's records. I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. his death. I didn't know about how much Clark was a dick. I mean, we're just learning new things every single day. I, it is a tragedy one way or another that Lewis died Mm -hmm. that early and that tragically and you know horrifically and it's just a shame i i hope that he was able to experience love and happiness with clark on this expedition even if they were doing it secretly in their little Mm -hmm. tents by the river whatever it was yeah i just think he deserved more i think he deserved better and it's a shame that he kind of ended up the way he did because everyone else kind of failed him. Mm -hmm. I agree that really, I learned so much from this, so much that was never included, obviously, in, in our U.S. history books. But I think I would agree that Lewis specifically deserved a lot better because it did seem like he was more invested in this relationship. And also, in terms of like a historical legacy, one of the articles was talking about how basically in our remembering of this history, the two men become inseparable. Like Mm -hmm. if you just said William Clark out of context, not saying Lewis and Clark, you would not know who that was. Right. Like maybe Meriwether Lewis, because it's a more recognizable name, but still they're pretty much inseparable Mm -hmm. figures Mm -hmm. in our historical conscious. And I think that that piece is also unfair because Lewis's legacy is far different than I think the legacy that Clark had and their stories are really different. And so I do hope we have some like historical justice and more research because the three articles and books that I mentioned are really the only things that are out there because Mm. I think people are nervous about the pushback of doing or or coming out with more information about this. And so we really do need justice for Lewis specifically. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's such a big part is that when we don't have information about something, in history, people are afraid to re-examine what we do have and say, what if we thought about it this way? It's People right. like to look at history and say, well, this is what it is and this is what we have. I think we need to keep in mind who is writing the history, mm-hmm. how we're examining it, through what lens are we examining it. And that's kind of what our goal is here at Historically Really Good Friends is to challenge what we've been told, what we've been taught. And to maybe come to terms or realize that history is a little bit more queer than we ever realized. It's super duper queer and that's okay. And it's great and it's valid and it's so interesting to learn about and to shift your perspective into thinking about why we're so focused and stuck in everyone being Mm -hmm. straight Straight. (laughs) and cis and all of those things. Because reality. It's not. And so we hope to bring you so much more of that for the rest of season two. Well, welcome back, everyone. And thank you, Rachel, for that great story. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to episode 28 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about U.S. expeditions. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes journaling about buffalo sausages a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. 
To see photos from this week's episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at historicallyreally and make sure to send us your personal stories at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. We hope to see you again next week and welcome back to season two. Goodbye. Later.